Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. I hope everybody had a safe, fun, relaxing, and enjoyable holiday season. I want to say Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to everybody. And, uh, you know, I hope you guys enjoyed some relaxing, fun time with friends and family. And, you know, of course, Christmas is about so much more than just gifts and feasts and stuff like that. All that stuff is great, but we all know that ultimately Christmas is about Jesus and how he came as the word of God made flesh and came to save us all. And so I hope you got some time this year to reflect on the birth of Jesus and um, all the things that God has blessed us with in this great country. So anyway, this week I have a cool episode um, there's a new company out that probably a lot of you guys have seen, you know, on social media and different places. Maybe you saw them at a show this year or at uh, TAC or something. But um, you've probably heard of Forlo, which is a new um, hunting apparel company. They have some really high quality stuff. And the cool thing about Forlo is everything, even down to their like packing materials and just everything they do is completely 100% sourced and made in America. So, you know, their wool is coming from American farms. Um, Just everything that they make is sourced and made in America. Very unique in the hunting space. And also it's really high quality stuff. So I saw their stuff online a while ago and I actually got a chance to meet with today's guests, Miranda and Travis, um, at TAC in Pennsylvania this year and got my hands on some of their gear. And it really lives up. Um, I would put it on par with a Kuyu and a Sitka. Their stuff is super high quality. Um, and, uh, you know, I haven't really tried any of it in the field yet, hoping to at some point. But I can tell you just from trying it on, looking at it, touching it, feeling it, it is really good stuff. And anyway, like I said, today I'm with Tran- sorry, <laughs> Travis and Miranda Huff from Forlo. And um, I had this verse that kind of came to mind. Um, This is, I guess, the second time that I've interviewed a husband and wife together. Um, The first one would have been uh, Hillary and Ryan Lampers a while back. But um, this verse came to mind um, just when I was putting this episode together. It's uh, 1 Peter chapter 3. And it starts off, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and putting on of gold jewelry or clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Uh, And then uh, verse 5, For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Um, And another translation says that they are partners with you in grace. So, um, you know, there's a lot to get into there. That's a longer reading than I usually give. And, um, 
you know, there's a lot of stuff that you can dig into there, but basically it's just saying that, you know, um, wives can lead their husbands to Christ through their conduct, which is kind of part of the, the Huff story here. So, um, I thought this verse was really good and then just encourages us to, um, care for one another, for love one another, respect each other and, um, and to pray together. And so, it was cool getting a chance to hang out with these two for a little bit, get to know them a little better, hear about their faith journey, hear about their hunting experiences, and um, what they've been up to. Um, so we recorded this before hunting season, so you'll hear us talking about that. So, But I just had a few other episodes I had to get out before I finished this one. Um, also, the last, I'd say about one third of the episode, something happened with my audio recording. So you'll see a reduction in the quality of my audio on the last third of the episode. It's no big deal. You can still hear what's going on. It's just not quite as, uh, as nice because something happened with my mic. So anyway, uh, I hope that's not too big of a deal. It shouldn't be. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. There's a lot of good stuff in there. Definitely check out Forlo, 100% made in USA, hunting and technical gear. And uh, please uh, subscribe to the podcast, subscribe to my YouTube channel, and leave me a rating and review. It's really helpful. Um, make sure you check out all the discount codes in the description field as well. Um, especially check out Heather's Choice. You can save 15% and grab some uh, backcountry food, some meals and snacks. And now's the time really to stock up on Heather's Choice because once season starts getting close, it's kind of hard to get sometimes because she sells out because her stuff is that good. Also, uh, you know, hit that uh, Black Rifle Hunter's Quest 20, save 20% at Black Rifle Coffee. And uh, there's a bunch of good ones in there, Argali, Two Vets Tripods, Western Fly Covers, and some other ones. So check out all those in the discount code. I appreciate y'all's support, and stay tuned for more awesome stuff. All right, thanks. All right, so I'm here with my guests today, Miranda and Travis from Forlo. How are you guys doing? We're doing good. How are you? Yeah, good. Just uh, enjoying the last bits of summer until uh, the season is upon us. It's getting close, man. I know. It's like it's crazy. Yeah, it's like scary close at this point. <laughs> yeah, I'm already starting to see like you know kill like kill pictures pop up on social like some antelope some alaska stuff yep i had a couple elk photos pop up this morning i don't know what those are all about a bunch of big velvet bulls i have no idea yeah where can you hunt velvet bulls right now you know i know a couple years ago they did this like coal tag in nevada in this unit Uh, there was a bunch of elk in them that wasn't supposed to be um but other than that i have no idea unless it's private landowner type stuff yeah it could be private stuff um well cool well uh what so you know as we are kind of in the thick of getting ready for season like what's what's y'all's what like what are you all up to right now what are you guys doing uh, in terms of prepping and getting stuff ready just as much as we can at this point man we're working 60 70 hours a week on the road non-stop so it's just last week we went on a basically like a 14 hour bonsai scouting trip just to check a couple cameras and glass a couple hillsides um 
normally this time of year we'd be training five, six days a week, eating good, getting ready. But instead we're training like two to three days a week, eating terrible yeah. food because we're on the road all the time. So, okay. He is eating terrible food. <laughs> <laughs> I am doing pretty good to be honest. Okay. But <laughs> I'm not. So how are you able to, to do that on the road? Eat well on the road. It's just anywhere you go, you can find something good to eat, you know, choosing yeah. meats that aren't breaded, that aren't, you know, cooked in a bunch of oils um i usually order salads and have the dressing on the side or use like lemon juice on the side for like just to give it some flavor or like today for lunch we went to this little brewery that's like one of my favorite places from when i used to live here and um they have like a quinoa veggie bowl and i just added like shrimp to it so you can you can always find something healthy to eat when you're on the road and that goes for when you're like out hunting too like you can always choose yeah. healthier options it might not be exactly what sounds the best but he's dealing with for sure feeling the best because he hasn't been eating very good and no, i'm like that's <laughs> man. Well, i the, feel fine the problem is is like if i eat a salad that's great and i feel good for like a couple hours and then i'm starving yeah it seems like there's no middle ground between a salad and a pizza in most of these places you know what i mean yeah we're not going especially to, in small towns yeah and we're not going to fancy restaurants where they have i mean it's like i said it's either a salad or bar slash brewery food which yeah is tough and i guess you could call it lack of discipline at that point i'm more go towards the bur- the burgers and pizza where miranda's like oh just give me the salad i'm like uh, i don't know <laughs> yeah it's hard to do that when you're super hungry and you just want to mow a huge greasy burger and yeah it's hard to pick a salad do you ever go to those um you know like hotels where they have like a kitchen you can do some cooking on your own uh have we ever had a kitchen no, we, we actually so. haven't had a kitchen. I mean, we've had like the trailer and stuff a couple times and that makes it a little bit easier when you can do your own shopping. But yeah, yeah, most of the time so, like we're kind of forced to eat out. <laughs> yeah. And so for people that might not know like why you're on the road, um, I'd love just yeah, give us a background on on both. Of you just kind of one at a time. And, you know, what is you're doing that led you to where you are now? And then why are you now on the road all the time? <laughs> Yeah, so we we kind of started out as, and I'll speak for myself, and then let Travis. Oh, uh, was that the dog? <laughs> the dog. Um, so we started out as kind of personal trainers, and we did a lot of our stuff online. And uh, because we worked for ourselves, we were able to hunt about 200 days a year, um, and we developed a pretty solid social media platform and decent um, amount of connections and names in the industry. So um, we actually got connected with Forlo, um, which is the company we now work for through just being like influencers. Um, yeah. So we were on their like uh, pro program for the last year or so. Um, we were there literally from the ground up. So before product was even on the market. Um, and in April, the VP of sales, Ryan, um, called us and he asked us if we could come out and help out at the Tennessee total archery challenge. Mm. So that's kind of how like all of the traveling stuff started. And from there it's kind of progressed. Maybe I'll let Travis kind of talk about yeah. how it progressed. I mean, it just, it went well, we connected well. And I think one of the big things that we brought to the table is, you know, and I don't want to throw Ryan under the bus, but Ryan just strictly doesn't hunt as much as we do. And he's yeah. knowledgeable about product and where it's come from and how it's designed and the, the inner workings of the company, where then Miranda and I could just come behind and tell elk hunting stories. Um, and yeah. through those elk hunting <laughs> stories, 
it was really easy to dabble in, you know, I'm going to wear this half zip during this application or our down jacket works good here or our pants are great in this situation. So the dynamic worked well because they could get up to speed with Ryan and then we could kind of jump in and really throw real world situations at these guys, especially out east. Um, yeah. With us being Western people, you know, out east, it was kind of a foreign product. Nobody had ever heard of us before. So it was, yeah, it just worked well for us. And then, you know, after that, I could, we kind of approached Ryan with like, uh, we don't want to not do this. So let's just keep doing it. Let's figure out how to make that happen. Um, yeah. And then what did we do after that? So then after we left Tennessee, they basically called us and asked us if we wanted to drive the massive truck and trailer from Montana to Pennsylvania, which is where I think we actually met you. Yeah. Um, and then to Michigan, and then we drove it down to Texas, and then Utah, Colorado, and then all over Montana. So um, cool. somewhere in the middle of that, like we were hired as like contractors first to drive the truck and trailer around and go to events. and we actually just um we actually just took a full-time position at the company doing nice. roadshow and events but we also now manage all of the influencer program and all of the organic social media as well sweet so, and cool guides and outfitters program and the guides well. and outfitters that's program. something that i kind of pushed for because i was a guide and outfitter for 10 years so i was like yep those are those are my people so i could definitely speak to those guys pretty well nice um is the dog on the bed? No, no. So, uh, somehow the camera keeps like bouncing. I don't know what. Oh, like, can you see that? Yeah. Um, Do I don't you know want that. to? Um, can we just pull her out? Yeah, I guess just put her. Maybe lock her in the bathroom. If that's a, if you don't mind, just because it'll be yeah. And the video you see coming through, I'm also recording on my camera, and it looks good. This is just the crappy. I'm not going to use that, like <laughs> that background. Um, you can see my fake, my fake backdrop. There we go. Okay, go. That's much more steady. What's the weather like out there? Is it nice or is it hot? It's, I was actually wearing a vest today because it's pretty chilly, actually. It was like 60 degrees when we left the Dang. hotel room. This I'm morning. jealous. It is nasty here. All right. That should help. Cool. Yeah, that's much more solid. Um, so just going back a little bit, I know you guys are with Four Low now. And yeah, so I met, um, I met you guys at the Total Archery Challenge in Seven Springs, Pennsylvania. And um, I was that was kind of the first like event sort of thing I went to, um, to try to kind of meet some folks. Um, and, uh, the four low tent was kind of right in the front and Miranda was like the first person I talked to. I think Travis, you were out shooting. And so, um, so anyway, it was, it was cool cause we got a chance to sit down and talk, but I was like a little bit nervous cause you know, this is my first event. It's just kind of weird. Like randomly going up to people like, Hey, I'm doing this. You want to like record something? Um, so anyway, I appreciate you guys being like super friendly to me and I ended up hanging out with you guys a bunch, like in the, in the tent and I was going to shoot with y'all, but I just didn't have time. But, um, so, so that's how we met and I appreciate you guys like being cool and, and stuff. That was fun. Um, but just going back a little bit even deeper, like I'd love to hear individually, like, you know, start with, I guess we'll just start with Miranda and then go to Travis. Just, 
how you got started like holistically and hunting, um, you know, in the fitness side of things. And, um, you know, I'd love to hear even like some about your faith journey in there too. Like, uh, cause that's kind of one of the themes of the podcast. And then, and then obviously kind of how, how you guys met and how that all happened. Sure. Yeah. So really, honestly, I started hunting with my dad when I was pretty much old enough to walk. Um, nice. my earliest memories were in the hunting, the duck hunting blind with my dad and some of his buddies. And they actually had a really cool setup where there was a heater in the blind. Um, oh, cool. and there was a bench and there was like actually a stove. So they'd make me like hot chocolate and stuff. Nice. <laughs> um, and my dad said he always like cussed me because I would like run out of the blinds, like right as he was like trying to shoot and then he couldn't shoot <laughs> because I was in front of the gun and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, so that, that was kind of my earliest hunting memories. And then I started hunting big game pretty much as early as I could. Back then, they didn't have the program where you could hunt with your dad or your mom um, as a kid. Like you couldn't use their tags or whatever to hunt. Mm. I know a lot of states allow that now. Um, so I took hunter safety when I was 11 and I shot my first buck when I was 12. Nice. Um, and I just kind of got the itch from there pretty much. Yeah. You grew up in Montana. What's that? You grew up in Montana. Yeah. I grew up, okay. I grew up in Montana. Cool. Um, so started hunting when I was 12, shot several, um, nice bucks from 12 to 16. And then 16 was when I shot my first bull elk. Um, mm. and that was a really, probably one of my favorite experiences hunting. I was with my dad and a couple of friends. Um, we ended up, harvesting two bulls. Um, we hiked in like seven miles, which was a lot. And then the next day we quartered, well, we quartered it all up that day. And my friend had a football game that night. So we had to get back that night. And then we came back in with horses the next day and packed oh, them nice. all out. So that was really cool. And then um, went off to college, didn't really hunt a whole lot when I was in college. Um, I didn't go to college in Montana, so I was all the way over in Maryland for college. Oh, where'd you go? What's that? Where'd you go? <laughs> um, oh boy. <laughs> I, so, this is like a whole nother story, but I'll just kind of briefly touch on it. I actually, uh, went to the Naval Academy for a couple years. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, and basically just had some like injuries and some health problems that weren't going to allow me to commission where I wanted to commission. So okay. I made the decision after two years to, um, to get out and I moved back to Montana and that's kind of when my whole adult hunting journey started was when I moved okay. to Montana. Um, my dad really didn't enjoy big game hunting a whole lot anymore. He'd kind of gotten to the point where he'd accomplished what he'd wanted to accomplish. And, um, he's primarily, a duck hunter now <laughs> yeah he's like a that's like my dad too hunting. um but he wasn't really he didn't really want to like help continue to teach me or help me learn so i was like okay i have to figure this out on my own now so um i felt pretty confident with you know like my shooting abilities and my ability to like take clean shots and i kind of understood most things when it came to hunting but i wasn't like super confident to like be able to go out on my own and be successful. Yeah. Um, so basically what I did is I just started meeting people at college and meeting people 
um, just around town and around like the hunting industry and in archery shops and stuff like that. And I started just asking like, hey, can I like come along? I don't even need to hunt for myself. Like I will be a pack mule. I will like throw my phone in the trash so I can't even like save maps. Like I just want to come along and I want to learn. So that's kind of how I started like my adult journey in hunting. Um, and it was really. Were, were people like responsive or were they like, I don't know about taking this girl or were they like, yeah, yeah, come on. So I had the slight edge that I was has have always been super athletic. Okay. Um, and like most people are like, Miranda could probably beat up most boys. So like, <laughs> they weren't ever concerned about me, like holding them back or not being able to keep up or anything. So I did have that advantage. Nice. Um, and then most of the people also knew my dad and knew how my dad raised me. So it wasn't like, they didn't think I could like, they didn't, they, they knew I knew how to like be quiet and stock animals yeah. and I've been successful hunting before. So it wasn't like cool. a brand new person out per se, sure. but, um, yeah, I just, I think the biggest thing for me was like, I want to go, I can hike hard. I'm not going to complain. You know, I want to learn and like, literally if at any point in time you say like, I can't keep going with you, like, please, like, I don't want to be in your way. So, yeah. um, that's what I did for the next few years until I met Travis. Um, and I actually, I feel like those years were so instrumental to my journey in hunting. Um, nice. I went from being like unsure of myself to being like extremely confident in my abilities. Mm. Um, and I didn't necessarily have the most success during those years, but I would say that those years really kind of paved the way for the last few seasons that we've had. Um, nice. so kind of like fast forward to when I met Travis, um, we kind of just met through friends in the, in the industry and yeah. had a lot of the same, um, hobbies and interests. And we started off as friends. Um, and after a few months we're like, Hey, like we talk to each other a lot more than we probably should. Um, and that's kind of how it progressed. And then, um, he actually became my personal trainer for a while and then, um, I don't know, things kind of just grew from there. And then we ended up as cool. a couple and then we started hunting together all the time. And then we got married earlier this year. Nice. And yeah, now we work cool. together full time as well. <laughs> awesome. Well, what about, what about you, Travis? What's your kind of background? So I, it, kind of the same startup type of deal, dad, grandpa, all that stuff. I would go, uh, my grandpa, after he retired, he would go set up his elk camp for the whole month and he wouldn't come home once. Nice. So in between when baseball ended and school started, I would go with him. It wouldn't be anywhere from two to four weeks and I just go live in the mountains. And that, that was great. That's awesome. And I had, I just grew up hunting with them and those, they are the type of guys that they come from the time when I guess hunting was still really good. And you could yeah. realistically hike a half a mile off the road and blow on a bugle and get a response and potentially kill a bull. Um, and that's just how I grew up hunting. And we had success. We, we harvested animals. We were always into stuff. So I was able to learn. And then I remember I was at a local archery shop and there was a guy in there that had a good reputation in the area. He's not like a big known guy, but he's yeah. killed a bunch of big bulls. He killed like 18 bulls, 18 years in a row. And so I like saw him at our local archery shop and I just struck up a conversation and he started talking about all this, you know, I, I backpack in and I hike in several miles and I do. And I'm like, what are you talking about, dude? 
I mean, I knew like guys in Alaska and stuff did this, but like you just go backpack in for like a whole bunch of days and stay back there and yeah. kind of gained a bunch of information from him and then kind of started implying that in my own life. And then at the same time, I was a huge waterfowl guy and uh, okay. I grew up in Idaho and we had this weird feral pigeon problem in Idaho. Yeah, sure. I'm going. I'm going somewhere with this, so hang with. Okay, me. Um, no, that's all good, man. And there was a few guys in the area that actually hunted these pigeons on dairies and feedlots, um, and you hunt them just like ducks and geese, like decoys, mojos, birds with decoy. I mean, it's almost identical yeah. to like shooting teal. I guess it would be. Uh, nice. But there's no limits, no rules. It everything goes. And there was uh, <laughs> the only pigeon decoy company was actually based five minutes from my house. And this company then started up a guide service. Um, For pigeon hunting. Pigeon hunting, yep. So basically the premise was, uh, you know, if we could kill two to 500 birds a day, that will really appeal to the guys that would normally go to Argentina and Uruguay and Mexico. Yeah. You know. That's cool. They would go down there for 20,000 bucks to go on this trip where they could come with, with, you know, the guys in Idaho for $1,200. Um, and still, you know, you're not going to shoot a thousand birds a day, but a few hundred good decoy. Yeah. It was awesome. So this company blew up huge. And I actually got the opportunity. A friend of mine was working for the owner of the outfit. And he's like, Hey, if you can kill ducks, you can kill pigeons. I need your help. So I went with him. We killed 500 some birds the first day and like 250 the second day. I made a bunch of money. I'm like, this is sweet. Yeah. Um, and then I had actually made friends with the owner of the outfit. I started working for him. And then he sent me a text one day and he's like, Hey, you pretty much don't work for me anymore. And huh. I'm like, Oh, well, what did I do wrong? He's like, nothing. I've decided I don't want to do this anymore. And I'm going to sell the company. And so I'm 18 years old and I'm like, okay, cool. I'm going to buy it. He's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to buy it. And he gave me a price and I'm not afraid to share it. It was, it was $30,000. Okay. Okay. And at this time I'm 18, I'm making like 12 bucks an hour as a meat cutter. Like it's just, so I had a little bit of money and savings. I was like, okay, I cut you a deal. I'll give you this amount down and let me pay this thing off over a couple of years. And so that's what we did. And I became an outfitter myself. I owned the business. Nice. I had guides in California and Oregon and all over the place. Um, and that kind of helped me meet people in the industry. Um, we hunted with Mojo Outdoors. We hunted with the owners of Vista. We hunted with a bunch of these, these big name guys. And so I kind of ran with that for, I don't know, a couple years. And there's a whole cool. story on how it ended, but that kind of faded. And then amongst all this, uh, a good friend of mine, Eric Strand called me and he's like, Hey dude, um, I have a buddy in Eastern Oregon who needs some help guide elk hunts this year. Are you interested? And yeah. it was like my lifelong since I was eight years old, I'm being out cutting guy. This is what I'm going to do. And I'm like, obviously I'm like, I don't need to know money. I don't need to know. <laughs> Just give me an address and I'll be there. So I went there for, I went up there for 30 days straight. I never came home. I never touched my own bow one time. I like showed up on this 50,000 acre ranch and the outfitter who's still a good friend of mine was like, okay, um, the road's down there somewhere. And this is your client. You should probably kill an elk between the top and the bottom. And I'm like, <laughs> lovely um so it threw me right in the fire there and then yeah that was a how long did i guide for four years okay uh, which is great great knowledge gained um yeah that, i had the opportunity to hunt with the guys at danner i hunted with chad mendez i hunted with jordan harbert oh, nice. so i was able to kind of make connections and make friends with these guys um which yeah. helped me a little bit later in life um but yeah that's kind of my my come up i no longer guide anymore obviously being you know 
full time with uh, with Forlo. And then the fitness thing, man, that was just a, a buddy of mine who's still my best friend. He was just jacked all the time. I'm like, yeah. I, I was the short fat kid. I'm only five six. Like, I didn't know about diet, nutrition, and stuff. And he like finally. He was going to the gym like twice a day and i'm like well i want to hang out with my buddy so i'll just go to the gym with you and that kind of sparked it all right there like yeah. a bunch of weight i put on a bunch of muscle i really got into the diet nutrition understood that hey if i do this right like i can do my bodybuilding stuff in the winter time and then i'll start to cut down coming into the season get in shape for the mountain and i just fell in love with this process um yeah and so like the fitness side that's how that come about and then when i was done outfitting, I was like, well, I got to go make money. So I like just jumped online and, you know, went through the six week course, got my personal training certification. Um, Cause that's, I don't know if it's necessarily needed, but the gyms say you need some sort of certification. Yeah. So I got that, right. became a, just an in-house personal trainer. And then right around that time, Miranda came in the mix. And is what I had noticed was we're charging this person over here you know, at the gym I was working at $600 a month to meet with me three times a week for an hour, which to me was yeah. an astronomical number. So then I had started to see this whole new fitness online thing come about. And I uh -huh. asked her, I'm like, Hey, I'm going to do this. Could you potentially help me get some clients? Cause I, I social media was, didn't even have a thousand followers at the time. Yeah, It was all hunters. Like, and at the, like, at the time I hadn't really bridged the gap between hunting and fitness. So I was just like, let's just be fit and be bodybuilders and look awesome. Yeah. So she helped me get a couple of clients along the way. And then I kind of approached her. I had ended up moving to Montana. Um, and she had adapted what I was doing very well and was to the point where she was actually teaching me stuff and she was doing her own research and whatnot. Well, my backstory is I was actually a collegiate power lifter. So it, okay. like I just got into fitness. Right. Like I'd, I'd been in, I'd been working out since I was like 15 or 16 and, um, lifting yeah. collegiately. Um, but then I kind of had taken a couple years off and he kind of helped me get back into it. And yeah. But then yeah. I, I approached her with like, let's just do this together because her cool. marketing and social media reach along with the knowledge of everything we were doing. I was like, that's perfect. I'm not good at that, but I have a passion for helping people. So yeah. let's just try this. And then that was basically our sole income for other than a few guiding gigs here and there. And then Miranda had another business. I'll let her talk about that. Um, but then that was kind of our sole income for almost three years. That's just what we did. We just dove into the, nice. the, the fitness side. You know, it was like, if we do this, then we could hunt a whole bunch because we don't have anywhere we have to be. Um, yeah, and that's kind of how that whole thing transpired. And now we're on to this new other thing we got going on now. Yeah, that's awesome, man. So actually, that's funny. I got a job one time as a young man um, going to Walmarts and shooting feral pigeons like at night. <laughs> Dude, I've been offered that so many times. Like, Yeah, I mean, sounds I your, your gig sounds way cooler, though. You know, it, it is man, but it's really hard. That demographic of people, those aren't, those aren't guys with a little bit of money that want to go on a hunt with their buddies. They're the guys that show up in their private jets with an $80,000 shotgun. So when these guys would show up and then there's this little 18 year old kid that's like, Hey, I'm the outfitter. They're like, yeah. what is this? So yeah. it's really tough to get 
trust built amongst these guys because i mean some of these guys have competed at high level shooting shotguns i mean some of the guys that made millions of dollars a year doing nothing but shooting shotguns competitively selling yeah. million dollar collections of shotguns That's like interesting. these been around they've done it and then, there, and then there's me who I'm taking them to a dairy or feedlot that's nothing but cow crap and dead cows everywhere. And it's just a mess. Yeah. But it, after the first few flocks would show up and it was 70, 80, 90 birds at a time and they're unloading, you know, plugless guns into these flocks and 20 birds are falling out of the middle of it. They're like, yeah. holy crap, this is a whole world. But amongst that. I had Walmart and different factories and stuff. They're always calling me, Hey, can you get rid of our pigeons? Can you do this? <laughs> then they Did you guys me. eat the pigeons? Uh, so at times we would, I, um, I had, a I heard party. it's good. It is good. But the, the issue I had was when you watch a, a pigeon, pick a piece of corn out of cow crap, <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. oh, man, I would probably eat that myself. I yeah. whatever. But giving that to some of these clients, um, but we shot a lot of those Eurasian collar doves. I don't know if you've really seen those yet. Um, uh -uh. We had a mass influx of these. They're a Eurasian dove that's been bought yeah. over the United States and they're blowing up out of control. We would shoot those on like in hay fields and things like that. And those are phenomenal to eat. So we really, we really dive into those when, when we get into them heavy. Yeah. Okay. All right. So you guys had mentioned a couple times about, um, using social media and stuff like that. So, um, Miranda, was that like a conscious decision on your part, like to kind of grow something out of that? Or is it just kind of, you started posting and started gaining a following? So <laughs> I, I've got a lot of dimensions <laughs> to my past, but, um, when I was in, <laughs> when I was going to college in Montana, after I left the Naval Academy, um, during the summertime, I'd go up to Alaska and I was actually, Oh, nice. and that was like oh, my cool. real my first like real job other than like being a barista and a server when i was going to school during the school year um and like between being a server and being a fishing guide working for somebody else i just kind of realized that i didn't work well um for other people um yeah so i when i got back to montana i started this business called rocky mountain women outdoors and basically cool. I started taking women on like hiking trips and backpacking trips and stuff like that. Um, and that went really well for a few years. And then I just kind of got to the point where I was like always leading these trips for other people. And I never really got the chance to like do things for myself. Um, yeah. Or if I did, I was like kind of burnt out because I just spent all this time taking other people out and stuff that I didn't even really like want to go out for myself. Um, yeah. So when I started that business was really when I like started to get really heavy into building my personal brand and building my business brand on social media. Um, and what's been so beautiful about the fact that I decided to build my personal brand was that like since then, so many other things have popped up like the personal training business and working with Porlo and working with some of the other brands that we're working with. And because I have a personal brand and because I am such a multi-passionate multi person, no matter what I do, there people are going to buy what I do because it's yeah. from me. Um, whereas if you do focus on building kind of like a business brand, if the business ever goes away or if you ever sell the business, like you're kind of left with nothing. So 
for me, building that personal brand was super important. It was strategic and um, yeah, I, I'll always. That's, that's really interesting. That's actually, it's, it's something that's been coming up a lot in conversations I've been having in podcasts lately with, like I did one the other day with Brian Call and um, Heather from Heather's Choice and Bo Martonic from East Meets West. And like, that's something that like keeps coming up is this like personal brand versus like, cause I've been pouring all my energy into building up the podcast brand. Um, but what I'm deciding and really figuring out is because it's gotta be like a multi tiered, you know, many irons in the fire type strategy. If you want to make a living doing content creation, like, um, I'm going to start focusing more on building a personal brand and then podcast is an offshoot of that. You know, my book I just wrote is an offshoot films and you know, different offshoots. So that's, that's interesting. I think like, honestly, unless it's like a super hardcore, like money making opportunity, I think you can pretty much just get away with having a personal brand and sell it yeah. off your personal brand. Um, you know, obviously having like a website and stuff like that is super important. And like, in your case, you already have such a huge following for your podcast. I would just build a personal brand, sell your book off your personal brand, um, mm. sell your other small things off your personal brand, unless it starts to become very big. Um, yeah, we manage several, we have managed several social media pages and it can get super overwhelming if you're trying to do too much. Yeah. So. Yeah, just managing one and really trying to grow it is like a lot of time. If you're trying to do like multiple pages, that's a lot. And you don't want to be on your phone that much. I mean, who wants to be on their phone that much? I already get yelled at by my wife for being on my phone too much. <laughs> it's hard. Um, yeah, so that's that's super interesting. Um, so uh, where, where does faith play into y'all's life? I know I haven't talked to Travis much about it. Me and Miranda talked about it a little bit. I think you guys are both believers and that's kind of a theme and not that, um, you know, I don't necessarily, I try not to be like preachy or anything on this podcast, but so I, you know, I talk to guys that are LDS or even other spiritualities on the podcast, but, um, I'd love to hear y'all's take on, on, um, I don't know how your spirituality relates to your love of the outdoors and hunting. And if you have any like, um, spiritual practice in your day to day life, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, I guess I can start. So I, I grew up in a Christian home. Um, (laughs) it was kind of a Christian home where like, honestly, like my parents kind of forced my brother and I to go to church. (laughs) Of course. Oh Uh, yeah. (laughs) Everyone got forced to go to church. (laughs) It wasn't really like a fun activity for us. It was like, Oh, I hated it. So like when I left for college and stuff, um, you know, I still believe in God, of course, but like I kind of ventured off the track of like, yeah, being like, I guess I would say I was very lukewarm in my faith. Yeah. Um, I did have kind of like a weird, like awakening, I guess, when I was at college and I got really involved with um, some people in uh, this club called Officer Christian Fellowship. And I yeah. started to realize that there's like, really cool people who are also believers and i was like oh my gosh this is so cool so i started going to like the clubs and events and stuff with them and went to a couple retreats with them and um actually just got like really back into my faith at that point in time um i ended up going on a mission trip to el salvador Um, that was really eye-opening some of like my 
biggest life lessons, I would say, or like um, things that I that have come to my attention um, just about life and about my relationship with God and stuff have come from that experience. Um, yeah. And we can totally talk about that at some point in time, probably not on the podcast because that could go on for hours. But um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so then I moved back to Montana and kind of lost touch with that, that close group of friends that were like very involved with their faith and kind of yeah. like that, like, you know, iron sh- supporter, iron sharpens iron kind of community. Uh, I had totally. a really hard time finding that where I moved to. Uh, yeah. And so I kind of lost touch a little bit again at that point, um, ended up um, just kind of hanging out with some people who they weren't bad people, but they just their values and morals just didn't align with mine as a Christian. Um, totally. And it took me a while to like remove myself from that. Um and probably about a year after like removing myself from that i actually moved up to kalispell i was living my life in kalispell i had kind of found that group of friends again i had gotten back into my faith and back into the outdoors hardcore um and around that time is when i met travis um and at that time travis had been like kind of exploring the idea a couple of his buddies were like super um super great guys, Christian, um, their wives were Christians as well. And they would go to the church. <laughs> Can you hear the dog? Yeah, I'll go take yeah, it's, okay. Um, it's okay. And so he wasn't, he didn't grow up in a Christian home. He didn't, um, he didn't have like that experience that I did. He didn't really have yeah. people that were like telling him about stuff. And like, before we ever even started dating, um, he was made aware that that was something that was really important to me. Um, so he, <laughs> he was made getting, aware. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He started getting like, he started getting to the point where he's like, well, like he was kind of going through some like ups and downs of, in life with like his business and trying to figure out what he wanted to do with his life. And he's like, well, maybe, maybe you should tell this story, but um, I'll tell it from my perspective and then he can tell it from his. Um, sure. So he's like, maybe there's something to this. Like maybe like I need to start doing my own research and like asking some questions and stuff like that. So um, he started like going to church and hanging out with his friend, uh, Brian and his wife. And they kind of, um, kind of helped Travis like begin his journey um and i think he actually you got saved with them at their church yeah nice um and from there like we became better friends and then eventually like we um, started dating and um things were like we like one of our favorite activities to do together was like to go to church and then we'd go out to brunch afterwards and that like relationship with God is ultimately, I feel like what really started the foundation for our relationship. Uh, totally. After, after a while. Um, so we kind of did the long distance thing for a while and then Travis actually ended up moving up to Montana. So we didn't have to do the long distance thing forever. Uh, yeah. And we continued to go to church together and, um, ended up, Actually, like, what was it, like a year and a half in or something like that? We, and this is starting to get like super personal, but um, 
we actually ended up like moving in together and stuff, which hindsight was a really bad idea. Um, mm. And down the road, we actually ended up taking like a slight break from our relationship. We broke up and kind of reprioritized our lives and our, our faith and all that kind of stuff. And um, then we we didn't move in with each other again until after we got married. So um, nice. yeah, I mean, our testimony is like, it's pretty long, it's pretty in depth, but that's kind of like an overview of it. And, um, you know, being on the road, I will say makes it pretty difficult sometimes to like go to church all the time, which is something that's like super important to me. So I'm hoping sure. um, maybe we don't have to work every Sunday <laughs> moving forward. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, but for me, I think it's mostly, um, you know, censoring things that I'm listening to or watching sure. or hearing. It's making sure I'm spending time around people who, um, you know, have the same morals and values that we do. It, you yeah. know, diving into the Bible and, you know, spending time with God, it's praying, it's, um, it's, I don't know, like it, it's making sure that my brain is being filled with, um, yeah, totally. Jesus and not you know, yeah. uh, a lot of the world garbage. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, and like, like community is huge, but like I said, you can still get that one-on-one -on -one time with God. And a lot of times it comes down to just like physical fitness, like discipline, like, man, I don't feel like, you know, having my quiet time this morning, but I'm going to do it anyway. You know, um, it's, it's a lot like physical fitness and that, you know? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. So yeah, what, what about from your side? She, I mean, she pretty much touched on all of it, so I don't have a ton to say, yeah. but I grew up, I actually grew up, I grew up in a non-religious home whatsoever. I, my dad, um, my grandma, God bless her, she grew up Catholic. Um, okay. She, she is, she was a great person. She actually is no longer with us, but um, she kind of same thing forced my dad and my uncle and my aunt yeah. to go to a Catholic church, um, and they absolutely hated it. Like, they... Yeah. Did, did not like it. So the second they all turned 18, they're like, we're done with this. We're not going to yeah. introduce it into our homes, anything like that. And then cut to, you know, when Miranda was talking about the first time I had ever gone to a Christian church with my buddy Brian, I like walk in, there's like a thousand people in there, there's music. And I'm like, well, this isn't what I expected it to be. And it, first right. and foremost, I kind of fell in love with the people. It was, it was interesting being in a place where a hundred percent of the people smiled. They were all nice. They all wanted to carry on a conversation with you and learn more about you. And I think that's where it kind of started for me was like, these are the type of people I need to be around before yeah. I commit myself to this and to her, I should probably educate myself a little bit. Um, and so I kind of started diving down that road a little bit and, you know, that's smart. Like Miranda said, it's it's been tough being on the road, and then when you're not on the road, you're we're hunting, and it's it, it is tough. But um, yeah, it's definitely had a positive impact. It, it, it's really it's a place for me to go to keep my morals and my ethics in check. Um, yeah, you know, and and I notice those actually may start to fade a little bit too when we're out of church because I don't have that, for lack of a better term, kind of a Sunday reset. Where I can go immerse mm -hmm. myself in this with these great people. Um, and that, you know, for me, that always, like, I always woke up Monday morning ready to roll. I'm like, I'm in a great mood. I'm ready to train hard. I'm ready to work hard. And then maybe yeah. Friday, Saturday, that would start to fade. 
Um, and then you can kind of re up on it. And, you know, I know it's yeah. very simplified, maybe not the best way to put it. Um, yeah. But that, you know, in a, amongst all this, getting into the Bible more, educating myself more, learning more, it's been big for me. And it's still, honestly, it's still relatively new to me, but I wouldn't trade for it. Yeah. Um, it's honestly the only reason we're still together, if I'm being honest. Yeah. 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 yeah you know, when, when Miranda. And I, Marriage is hard. Um, yeah. And it's, you know, at the time when we did break up, it was not, I don't know how to say this without getting too in depth. I honestly didn't expect it if I'm just being completely transparent. So I'm like stuck in this house by myself with no one around me going, I mean, I'm like, I'm a mess, dude. Like, I'm like, yeah. well, the last two years, business growth, all this stuff is, is gone. And so I was like, is all I knew to do is take care of that. Yeah. It's okay. You can continue. Yeah. And then with that, you know, I, I just started to pray about it. And I never said like, I, I never really asked, like, show me what to do. I would, I would just pray about it. And amongst that, that helped me kind of get back on my feet and get back. Yeah. You know, I went and got a job. I, you know, I, I did these things and got myself rolling again. Um, and through that, I, I just kind of had felt this thing where like, it's not over yet you need to be genuinely a better person. Um, and I just worked on myself and it, it wasn't long, a couple weeks, you know, maybe a month at the max. Um, and I just kind of started working on myself and, and bettering myself. And through that, here we are married, you know, nice. I, you know, honestly, six months after that breakup. So okay. I would say without that, neither of us would be sitting in the position that we're sitting in. Um, yeah. And that's kind of, that was not i'm definitely not going to say the jumping off point for me but that was the solidification behind everything for me like awesome. i listened to what i was told and i prayed about it and i did what i thought was right and what i thought god wanted and now here we are and so ever since then it's just been it's been kind of a it's been in the background man i mean i'm not gonna lie we've traveled so i think realistically we've been on the road nonstop since november of last year wow and yeah. you know we would find times when we could to make it to a church if we could find one um but yeah that's just kind of definitely not as in-depth as miranda's but that's like yeah. my little bit of a of a background with that for sure man um yeah god's always got a plan and he obviously had a plan to get you guys together so that's awesome um miranda so okay you don't have to go into like super detail, but what's like your one biggest takeaway from your time in the missions field? I got to ask. Oh, okay. So we were going kind of like house to house. So basically what we were doing while we're, we were on the mission was there was this children's center where basically um, kids without parents could go, kids whose parents couldn't really support them with food and uh -huh. all the like dental and medical care and all that stuff they would go there and hang out sometimes so there's just like a bunch of like a hodgepodge of kids that would hang out at this center and we did a bunch of like landscaping and building and stuff for their new like um school and medical center and stuff like that uh -huh. um but also what we did was we were going kind of like we would schedule meetups with some of the locals who like wanted to talk to us I don't know if yeah. they wanted to talk to us because we were Americans or if they wanted to talk to us about God necessarily. Um, but I just remember 
<laughs> I remember this one guy that invited us to come to his house and talk about God. Um, he So he invited us to our house. The whole village of El Salvador does not, for the most part, have running water. So all these people, the way they get their water is it sits in these like troughs and they just like, that's how they use their water. They bathe with it. Mm. They It's just standing water. It doesn't flow. It doesn't right. have pipes that come into the house. Nothing. So also their houses don't have floors. So it's just dirt floors and they sweep the dirt floors. And so the dirt floors are like honestly relatively clean. But yeah. sweeped them so much it's almost like cement because it's so like Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, anyways, this guy like invites us over to his house and seriously, like is one of the most hospitable people. The guy doesn't have running water. He doesn't have a floor. He doesn't even have chairs in his house. Mm. So he walks a mile down the road and brings like four folding chairs back from somebody else's house so that we could all mm. sit at his house. Um, and I'm sitting here going like, I freak out when my house is not like an absolute like when it might when my house is not absolutely perfect and clean yeah. i freak out about having people over yet this man doesn't have running water he doesn't have a floor in his house he doesn't even have chairs yeah. but he is so excited to host us and yeah. it got me thinking like if this guy who has nothing is ready to have relationships with other people and is ready to bring people into his home. Like how many opportunities have I missed to make connections with people or to speak into somebody's life or maybe be like a light for the Lord because I'm so concerned about everything being perfect all the time. Um, So that was probably, that was probably like the biggest takeaway from that trip for me was like, Things don't have to be perfect. Like you don't have to look perfect all the time. Like you don't have to have all the nice things. You don't have to look, um, you don't have to look rich. You don't have to, you don't have to have the nicest house or the nicest vehicles, like to be somebody that makes an impact on somebody else. So. Totally. No, that's good. So, okay. I got one more kind of question on that and then we'll move on from this. But so Travis, like, um, I know you said your faith is kind of a newer thing to you. Um, have you seen, have you seen it? Have you seen any difference? Like when you're, when you're out hunting, like, are you able to, or do you feel like you can connect with the creator when you're out in nature or, um, you know, sometimes it's, you know, I, I get both. Like when I was in Alaska last year, there were times where I felt really connected and I was like leaning on my faith, you know, when I was getting homesick or we were socked in in the tent, you know, for like a day um, and, and I just needed that, like my faith to kind of fall back on. And then sometimes you're just like in go mode looking for animals and you're just kind of doing that. Um, but do you, yeah. do you feel like a connection when you're out there or is any difference between yeah. before and now? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm much more appreciative of it for sure. I, I'm able to back, you know, b- before all of this, I would look at a hillside that I thought should have a big buck on it and it wouldn't, I would just get mad. Yeah. What? going on with this yeah sorry she's just plugging our computer in and i would just be like what is what what's going on here like i i just i couldn't appreciate it i'm like but now i can sit there and i i don't know like i just I appreciate what's out there for what it is because i understand how fragile it is right now yeah uh, 
And you know, one of the other things that it's done, and this might sound kind of funny, is I've been on this huge kick lately about we're getting so far away from what hunting is supposed to be mm. that it's starting to frustrate me. Yeah. Um, and so I'm able to look at a less mature animal and understand that that's food. Yeah. The, the, the aspect of it, it has its place. I get it. I, I do. Um, and I'm definitely not, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a trophy hunter by any means. I definitely have there. I mean, there is a bull this year that I'm pretty hot on and there's a bunch <laughs> I'm really hot. On. Yeah. I get the opportunity at smaller animals that are going to fill the freezer. That's just what I'm going to do in understanding that, that that was God's intention. Yeah. It, that intention was never to, you know, what is that deer score? What is that elk score? How big of a skull does that bear have? None of that actually matters. Yeah. It only matters in this little industry here that we work in. Totally. So I'm able to look at a forked horn buck and just appreciate that he's there. Mm. Opposed to just go, oh, there's only little bucks in this country. Let's get out of here. That's um, awesome. And that makes a ton of sense. Totally. But man. that's kind of where kind of where I'm at with the whole thing. And I'm able to there, there is a point in time, and Miranda can vouch for this. If we went three days without seeing a shooter animal, I'd, I'd freak out. I'd make this stupid. Why are we here? This is a waste of time. And diving into my faith has helped that tremendously because yeah. it has helped me with that just overall connection to being outside. That's and awesome. Sitting, sitting on a lake and not catching any fish, but understanding that that's okay. Um, where back in the day, it was like, if I didn't have a 20 inch brown trout in the first five minutes of being there, I wanted to go home because the spot sucks. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and now it's more of like, I'm just happy to be here, man. You know, and that's, I think that's helped me a ton in that aspect. Dude, that's huge. Go ahead, Miranda, are you gonna say something? Oh, I was gonna say, tell them about your experience when you went up backpacking by yourself last summer. You know, I, I don't know if that was necessarily, I'll just tell it and you can take it for what it is. Um, I, I decided there, there was a, an elk hunting spot that Miranda had known about. She kept talking about it. And I'm like, okay. And then finally I, I figured out where it was and I looked at it on a map and I'm like, I'm going to go check this thing out. Like there's a big lake back in there. It was a pretty easy hike. And so I just loaded my stuff up, loaded my backpack up with all three nights worth of backpacking gear. And I just took off by myself and I got in there and I like sat next to this lake. And it just got extremely emotional. I've been like, I was like, I need to call Miranda. I need to call my dad. I need to like, I, I started crying. I was like, what, what is in, but like the hike wasn't hard. There was no bears around. I wasn't scared. Like I was catching all these like 15 inch cutthroats on a fly rod. Like it was freaking phenomenal. And it was for me is what it was, was I had bought a business, lost a business started a new career, kind of evolved that career, met someone, moved out of state, left my friends, left my family. Yeah. And I had never had a second to process any of it. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like I had just, it was go, 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 make money, kill animals, create opportunities. Like that was my life. And I like sat up there. I had basically no cell phone service. I was pretty deep. I mean, I was like four or five hour hike in at this point. And I don't know, like I just like, it was, it was the only place I could go yeah. to process everything. And I guess this processing just came out in like this big emotional ball of mess, but, <laughs> um, 
yeah, no, that was a, that was an eye opener for me for sure. But then kind of understanding the correlation between what I was feeling and God's intention behind that. And there was, I needed to be there at that time. Yeah, I needed to be there by myself. And at that time, life was for me was pretty, not, not easy, but it was comfortable. Yeah. I was in a nice house. We made decent money. I had my girlfriend, my dogs, like it, everything was, it was cush. And then I went back in this country. It was hard. It was brutal. Nasty storms blew in and it kind of made me suffer a little bit and made me a better person when I came out the back end of it. Yeah. And it was definitely like, there was no reason for me to go on that trip. None at all. Like I had, we had another spot that was chock full of elk, chock full of big bucks. I didn't need to go in there. I didn't need to go look for these elk, but I just like something inside me was like, load your backpack up and go. Yeah. And that's the experience I had coming out the back end of it. No, that's so awesome, man. I mean, yeah, just that experience is invaluable. I mean, you see in in the Bible, you know, even Jesus taking time to go by himself, you know, sit on a mountain and like we totally need that reset. And I feel like a lot of guys like you and me might not ever get that reset if it wasn't for hunting, you know, and that's why it's such a, that's one reason why it's such an awesome thing. Yeah. And, you know, I would say the gym is one of those outlets as well, but what is that? And two hours at the max. Yeah. And it's a great place to just kind of go reset for the day. Right. But being in a situation where you can't just pick up your phone and call somebody and you're, I mean, it was a long hike out and my backpack was, stupidly heavy like i don't know why i decided to the waters i did but i don't know and like this thing i like i was getting my butt kicked man the weather rolled on me that night it was thunder and lightning all night long my headlight was dead so i went i was in grizzly country so i went and stashed my food that night yeah i realized that i was two steps away from falling into the lake Uh, there was like a little it had kind of backflowed up into the timber a little bit and uh, so I had set my food like four inches from the edge of this lake. Yeah. Um, and it was tough. Like it beat me up and it just, it helped me gain perspective on life in general. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, yeah. That's awesome. man. definitely, definitely a God moment for sure. Yeah. Um, so we're getting kind of close to time here, but I did want to ask uh, another question from Miranda of just kind of, I just kind of curious, what's it like, you know, you've been kind of big in the fitness world and now sort of in the hunting world, what's it like sort of being um, in these male-dominated worlds as a female? What's your perspective on that? Yeah, I think it's my biggest challenge, if I'm being super honest, is I know that God created men and women to be different not being as feminine as they should be as like weird as it sounds um so like i have to make a conscious effort to like um allow travis to feel like a man or feel like you know the leader of the household um i have to allow myself to feel like a girl like which sometimes means like making sure i curl my hair once a week even (laughs) um you know it's it's so easy to get wrapped up in like okay we're, we're going hunting like not showering for 10 days like we're hunting together and we're basically equals um he's not really like teaching me a bunch of stuff or like guiding me as we hunt we're kind of partners and we work together and so that's cool it's easy for me to get into that place it's a beautiful thing 
but it's really easy for me to get in that place where I'm very, I have a lot of like masculine energy. Like I'm very much a leader, very much a type A personality, very much, um, very much like a go-getter, which are typically, I mean, women do have those qualities, but it's not yeah. the caretaker and the, um, you know, uh, the person that's kind of keeping up with the house and cooking, which those are things that I want to embody as his wife. Um, and I know that like in today's society, like it's a lot of people look down upon like women taking care of the house and laundry and cooking and taking care of you know those types of things but like that's something that you know as you dive into the bible like that's kind of some of the expectations that are set for women um and men are kind of supposed to be the decision makers like the ultimate decision makers they're supposed to be the protectors they're supposed to be um you know they're supposed to have that role for their wives right. and for me i think that's been the toughest thing being in these male-dominated industries is allowing him to be that and allowing myself time and space to really feel like a woman and be the kind of wife that he needs. So, um, yeah. <laughs> and not wanting to pull my hair out when my dog is freaking out. <laughs> no. Yeah. It's, that's a tough balance. And I know you, um, Western ladies are a tough breed. So, um, but just reminding. With... Yeah. I also want to be like a badass, but <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's just finding the mixture between like being able to like be a beast, but also like be a lady. So yeah, lady beast. <laughs> um, um, it's been really well though. Like I think I think a lot of it has to do with like the way you carry yourself and the way that you have conversations with people. Yeah. Um, I make it an effort to never talk over my head. Um, I I don't. I don't act like I know everything. I don't um, talk about things in depth or I'll be honest with somebody and be like, you know, I don't have a lot of experience in that, you know, but I'd love to learn. Um, yeah. That's one of the big things. And that's really an easy way that you can, I know you can lose respect with people is if you try to act like, you know, more than you do. So yeah. I think for me as a woman, you know, just dressing modestly, um, you know, especially on social media, just carrying yourself in a way that's respectable. Yeah. Um, and then just like when you do have conversations, especially with men, just don't be afraid to be super honest about where you're at. Like share your hunting stories, um, talk about hunting, but like don't act like you have to like puff your chest sure. up and compliment for, for being a woman. Yeah. So, and so tr and also, no, go ahead. just be for, yeah, sorry. Just being like super willing to like put in the effort and learn. Um, like I was saying when I was like, Hey, let me be a pack mule. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Humility yeah. is huge in anything. Um, male or female. Um, Travis, have you, uh, do you find yourself sometimes, um, like out in the field and you guys are hunting together, kind of wanting to naturally take more of that like teacher leader role and maybe there's some friction there or how's that go down it's <laughs> um it's it, getting better it's getting better okay but there, there was definitely a point in time where Did you guys used to butt heads pretty hard we've we've lost we've not killed big animals because of it <laughs> big animals. yeah um, i probably should have shot like 180 inch mule deer last year oh, <laughs> man. but i 
the rifle. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I'm, um, you know, it, it's a, it's a good mix, man. And I think as long as we can learn from each other, it's, it goes well because I'm a, I'm a push type of guy. I'm like, put the pressure on, like, yeah. I know it's not a percentage stock, but let's do it anyway. And I know this bowl is running the other way, but let's dog him and put the heat on. Like, let's just make it happen. And she is extremely patient. Mm. She's like, Nope. Like we sat on a mule deer buck one year in Idaho for 12 hours. One of the biggest deer I've ever seen. It probably wasn't 12 hours, but it was like 7am until like four o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah. yeah a long so, time. <laughs> Me, being who I am, every two minutes, I'm like, you think he's still there? Because he had bedded in this huge, tall chaparral stuff that these deer basically had tunnels built through. Yeah. You could only see him. If he, if he would stand up, he was clear as day. But when he laid down, you had no clue he was there. Um, and at, the, at that point, we didn't want to pack a spotter in. As far as we were, I think we were four miles and 3,000 feet of elevation gain going into this canyon. Yeah. And I just pack a spotter in. My rifle's heavy. Um, and just she's like he's there he's not we can see him if he leaves and so she's kind of the one who made me sit there because i was like screw it we're just gonna stalk this deer like i'm gonna go tunnel through the chaparral with him <laughs> and i'm gonna pick up on him and shoot him and she's like no stay there yeah. and behold you know eight hours later this deer stands up i miss him but yeah what it is but without that and same kind of thing on the bear that she shot at this year that was 7 a.m to 9 p.m and my buddy Joe and I are like, let's go. Let's go get right in his face. Let's piss him off yeah. and let's kill him now. Miranda's is like, nope, he's coming out. I know he's coming out. And lo and behold, 45 seconds before legal shooting light, this bear steps up. <laughs> we had a gun malfunction, but just those little things, yeah. it, it's helped me. But there is also a point in time where it, it, it's time to go. Yeah. Like we need to go right now. I don't care if your backpack's not on. I don't. If your if your binos aren't strapped on right, go now. Yeah. And um, she's taken a little bit of that from me, and I've taken some of the patience from her. And um, you know, last yeah. Okay. And then last year, I think we ended up harvesting 13 big game animals um, between nice. bows and rifles and stuff. And it, it really clicked last year, and I think it's going to make. Fun. This year should be pretty special. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you guys are able to, because I know with with my wife, you know, we she's a very strong personality too, and we sometimes butt heads like doing projects together because she's got a very strong opinion and is uh, right more often than I'd like to admit. Um, but uh, but yeah, I'd love to hunt with you guys sometime because it'd be cool to see that. As men, it's easy to like naturally want to be like telling your woman like this is what we're doing, this is how we hunt, but like hunting with like an equal like Miranda said that that'd be a interesting dynamic but if you guys are able to like you said balance each other out like get a little bit of your go-getter and a little bit of her patience um sounds like a pretty magical mix so with that in mind what what kind of adventures you got planned for this year so right now um just kind of your standard we'll do deer and elk in Montana in September um we've got just kind of a little honey hole that we found that's kind of a really fragile spot you know what i'm talking about like you have to really tiptoe your way around yeah. and make sure you don't these elk so we'll do that i think we probably have the first 15 or so days of the season pretty much off work um we'll hunt we'll use that as a, a four low content builder as well cool. um in october what oh i was just gonna say it's really nice because four low is like we need you guys to go hunt yeah because content you are, you are the brands 
hunters. Like we're pretty much the only employees that work for the company besides the owner that are hunters. Oh, okay. And so, so, so like, it's really important for us to be out there hunting. And so they're awesome about letting us do that. I, you kind of broke up a little bit there. Um, you kind of broke up a little bit there. Um, I think our I think our hotel Wi-Fi is here. Let me turn this off. Just say that one part about that last point you just said. I think you just kind of broke up a little bit. Um, it's really awesome because Forlo is allowing us to do a lot of hunting from an authenticity standpoint because between Travis and I, one other guy and then the owner we're the only hunters in the company cool and so for us to be able to go do sales and for us to be able to talk to people and tell them about the product for us to be able to do the social media the organic social media yeah and to speak to people like you it's super important for the brand to have that authenticity totally so we get a lot of them to go hunt <laughs> that's awesome yeah and I think after September, October, we're going to do Michigan Whitetails nice. um, with the guys HuntWise. Um, we're good friends with uh, Nate, Matt, and Joe over there. So I think they're going to host us. Uh, we did a bear hunt this last spring. So we're going to do that. And then November for us is really just whatever tags are left over. Um, here in Montana, we're super fortunate that we can get an elk tag. I think we'll have probably five deer tags apiece. We both have bear tags left over. So you're never going to fill all of them during archery season. I mean, unless we just want to go out and shoot a bunch of a fork and horn bucks and does and do it that way. Yeah. Um, and then after that, we'll dive real hard into the waterfowl world. Um, and then kind of playing with the idea of that, uh, that January coos hunt down in Arizona. Yeah, that um, sounds fun. I'm playing with the idea, but I've listened to different podcasts and whatnot and understanding how low percentage of a hunt. It, it sounds actually super is. tough. Um, and the mule deer down there, it sounds like that is getting, there's just a lot of people chasing them around now in January. So might do that or might, I'm considering putting on like a waterfowl camp this year, um, going and renting an Airbnb and having a couple industry guys come out and then just a couple friends and we'll just go chase ducks and geese for 10 days, Awesome. shoot coyotes. And if, if there's any deer tags left over, you know, do stuff like that. Yeah. It's a pretty year next year is going to be kind of our breakout big year where we go do stuff but this year's just we're going to stay home for the most part maybe we're doing michigan maybe nebraska but it, we're going to stay home for the most part nice. and we forgot to we forgot to put in for antelope this year oh so dang like almost 100 percent draw odds yeah. so it was a total we just were traveling and busy and yeah. we totally forgot that the deadline was june 1st oh, so <laughs> yeah i'll be doing um antelope in wyoming in october looking forward to that nice. yeah that's what you're saying yeah um well yeah you guys have to i didn't know you guys are big waterfowlers you have to come up my dad's got a place on the eastern shore of maryland right across the water from annapolis in uh, talbot <laughs> county and they usually slam the geese you guys have to come out sometime that would be cool we've got i've got lots of family and friends in annapolis okay people there so Cool. This has been really cool getting to know you guys. Um, I did want to ask more about Forlo, but I just was more kind of interested in you guys. Um, but there'll be time for that. I, you know, we kind of caught up a little bit about the brand and stuff, um, you know, in the last kind of short podcast I did with Miranda and Ryan. Um, and I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about the brand and stuff in the intro, but I just kind of wanted to get to know you guys a little bit more and hear about your story and, 
and that kind of thing. So it's been really fun. I appreciate y'all's time. Yeah, we yeah, appreciate the opportunity, man. It's good to talk to you. Yeah, you too. All right, we'll catch you guys soon. Awesome. Okay. Thanks, man. Sounds good.